we get amped up, we bring some information together, we look at options, we make some decisions, we develop a plan, and we're all you know excited. And then the day-to-day kicks in and we get sidetracked by the tyranny, the urgency of the day-to-day. So strategic planning is part of the problem because it emphasizes the wrong thing, planning. The goal isn't to create a plan, the goal is to execute and win. Plug into the minds of the world's cutting edge innovators, visionaries, and thought leaders, rewriting the rules of high performance at work. It's your time to make an impact. I am your host, Jason Campbell, and this is Superhumans at Work, a Mind Valley podcast. We're about to get started with another amazing guest who's sharing incredible insights. And I want to make sure that you are aware that all of this is made possible by Mind Valley. And right now, Mind Valley has an amazing package that you can take advantage of called All Access. If you haven't heard of it before, this is basically getting every single quest of Mind Valley available to you for an annual price of under $600. And the best part is you can get started, have a test drive if you've never done a quest before and see how amazing this transformational material is. If for any reason you feel is not what you're looking for, you're always eligible for a refund within the first 30 days. So I urge you to go to mindvalley.com forward slash superhuman. That way you'll be able to take advantage of this incredible offer and it will support our shows and free content such as superhumans at work that you get to listen to twice a week. So go in there, check out the quests that are available. All the information will be on that page, which is mindvalley.com forward slash superhuman, where you can also find this link in the show notes. And now let's get started with our episode. Hi, everybody. This is Jason Mark Campbell. Welcome back to Superhumans at Work. We're going to have an incredible episode today where we're going to talk about leadership. We're going to talk about commitment. We're going to talk about focus. And all of these are so interwoven together to make us very effective at leading organizations. And you'll be able to apply this no matter where you are in the organization. And so the guest that I have today is Michael Canick. He is the chief flag bearer for Making Strategy Happen, a consultancy that helps committed leader turn ambition into strategy and strategy into reality. Now, he's worked with amazing companies around the world, has published two books with his first one being on how to actually make strategy. So strategy management system being the first big piece of literature that he put out as well as Ruthless Consistency, his newest book that just came out, which I'm so fascinated about because I see in times I've had a lot of guests come on the show talking about how the world changes fast and a lot of pivot and a lot of change of direction seems to be encouraged. Yet here's something talking about ruthless consistency. And I'm so fascinated by that because I'm someone who typically loves to see things be consistent. So I'm excited to see how this fits into the current model of the worldviews we have. And so it's with my great pleasure to bring Michael Canick here to come to Superhumans at Work. Michael, thank you for being on the show. Jason, great to be here. Looking forward to this. This is going to be a fascinating conversation. Now, you've been a speaker, you've been an author, and you've consulted so many big companies when it comes to strategy. And we want to talk about the right commitment, which kind of brings me to kick this off with maybe an interesting question is, what have you seen with companies that make wrong commitments? The biggest thing with wrong commitment is lots of talk, no action. Everybody's great at coming up with the vision. Here's what we want to achieve. Let's go make this happen. Let's go, you know, fly to the moon. Let's conquer the world. And it gets everybody excited, 
but it's the disciplined follow-up and execution that makes it happen, and that's where we fall off. We talk a good game when it comes to commitment, but our actions don't always follow through. So, you know, in my world, I like to put a lot of emphasis on what does commitment look like? It's not the big kickoff meetings. It's not the big sweeping gestures. Often, it's the little things done consistently, day in, day out. And when you look at people who are successful in any field, business, sports, entertainment, whatever, you'll see that there's a lot more to it. And you'll see that many years often of hard work, detailed execution to make it happen. So that's what I mean by commitment. The wrong commitment is, you know, lots of talk, lots of puffery, but not a lot of action. Now, that's interesting you bring this up because, you know, being part of Mind Valley, we're very much into personal growth as well. And it almost seems like what you're speaking about is everyone puts a lot of emphasis on, let's say, goal setting or being bigger and bolder on the vision, it's putting together a vision board. And I see this in company planning as well, like doing the business plan. Yet here, you're saying that a lot of the difference between success and failure is not as nearly as amplified as that area of focus, but rather everything that comes behind it. So, in the companies that you've consulted, is this where you're also seeing a bias? Like everybody just spends a lot of time in that meeting to kick it off, yet you're seeing a trickle down. And how do we start fixing that? Absolutely. And the example is strategic planning. Everybody's been through strategic planning. We get amped up. We bring some information together. We look at options. We make some decisions. We develop a plan and we're all you know excited. And then the day-to-day kicks in. And we get sidetracked by the tyranny, the urgency of the day-to-day. So strategic planning, as I say, is part of the problem because it emphasizes the wrong thing, planning. The goal isn't to create a plan. The goal is to execute and win, whatever that looks like for your organization. So the key thing is we have to treat this as a process, not an event. Too often we treat strategic planning as an event. Too often we treat goal setting as an event. It's not just about the setting goals. It's the goal management process. Just like with strategy, it's the strategic management process. So that's really the first thing. It's that mindset. This is not an event. We do it. We check it off the list. Yeah, I've done it. It's a process. And the key then is instituting the mechanisms to make sure we are reviewing and tracking and recalibrating our progress, and then, you know, making adjustments as we go along to make it happen. So we have to institute a lot of things to turn strategy into reality. And I realize that, you know, when you're doing the planning, it's just one of the many steps within your strategic management system. But I know we wanted to focus here on the the ideas of your latest book is the idea of this consistency. Because even if I look at times that, you know, you can have models that you can apply to put into action any of the strategy, but this element of consistency, I wanted to kind of dig more into that is what are the elements that you see that makes you successful in consistency? And what are the things that kind of make us like, why is it that we're having issues with being consistent with the goals that we set? <laughs> That's a great question. And to be clear, when I'm talking about consistency, I'm not talking about mindless activity, you know, robotic repetition of things. Because as you said before, in our fast changing world now, you know, we've got to be able to pivot, we have to adjust. So why consistency? So this is critical. What I'm referring to is a ruthless consistency of purpose to make sure that all of our decisions, all of our actions are absolutely aligned with our intentions. So it's that consistency of purpose. So you may need to be innovative. You may need to be creative. You may need to pivot. All of those things, as long as they are consistent with your purpose. 
So it's important that everything we do, and the reality is the, the relentless alignment of decisions and actions with intentions is the foundation of success. That is a fundamental truth. The relentless alignment of decisions and actions with intentions is the foundation of success, to be able to do that consistently. But that's what we mean by consistency. And that's why even today, when within a fast-changing environment, we have to maintain that consistency of purpose, even though the specific things we might do are varied, they're all in service of that overarching purpose. I love that. And just to clarify here, when you talk about being consistent on the purpose, are we saying that whatever you set as a vision or a, a mission is what needs to be consistent? Or is it even beyond that? Everything, first of all, everything is subject to change, even the mission and vision. And that doesn't mean you're going to change it easily or lightly, but you have to be prepared to question everything. Because one of the traps in business is when we own our beliefs. And I like to say, lease your assumptions, don't own them. Because when you lease them, it conveys they're subject to change. Too often we get locked into our beliefs. And why? We've been successful doing what we're doing right? We've been successful. We know how it works. We know what gets done. You know, and we build a confidence around that. We build identity around that. But you have to be able to lease your assumptions. That can't even be your vision and your mission. In reality, those aren't going to change often or certainly won't change greatly. But at least you have to be able to ask the question around the mission and vision. And do we need to change that? Once you've decided on that, though, once you're clear on that overarching purpose, everything, needs to be absolutely aligned and consistent with that purpose. It makes me think of things such as like the story of how Blockbuster is no longer with us as a company. You know, if you're very much like, wow, we're going to be doing a real estate play. We're going to be, you know, having DVD rentals for everybody. And then you have Netflix that's doing the daily DVD loaning program or whatever it is that they start as. And then they're like, hey, we're going to move everything online. That's a, a big pivot, but still being kind of anchored into wanting to bring entertainment to everybody, right? I wanted to see if we could have a couple examples, like what are some of the companies that we might be familiar with that have that purpose so that we can anchor what does that look like when we set it in stone? Right. And let me follow up on that Blockbuster one, because that's a great example. The irony is Blockbuster, it wasn't like they were blind to the threat. They actually looked at streaming and they decided they were actually going to pursue streaming, but because it was just an appendage to their business. They didn't treat it seriously. It was a nice-to-do rather than a must-do. That's why they fell prey to Netflix. So, you know, what typically happens, and there's a study a number of years ago now, a historian, Barbara Tuckman, who looked at institutions that failed, whether it was in business or governments or, you know, even throughout history. What she found was they failed not because they didn't see the threat coming. They failed because they saw it and chose not to act decisively. So that's dramatic. It's not like we are blind to the threats, but we don't conjure the will to be able to respond or anticipate or take action on them. So, you know, block that blockbuster story is a great example. And then when you look at the Netflix model, of course, you know, they're originally, they were known as, oh, geez, we can get these, you know, movies sent to us and then we can return them and it's so convenient. However, they were able to just realize that, oh, streaming is the way to go. So their overarching purpose may have been the same in terms of getting people easily accessible entertainment. However, the delivery channel changed. You have to be very careful about how you define your business. Let me give you another example. If you look back years ago, a company that produced a product that people loved, 
they were very loyal to, they talked about, they were active proponents of, was BlackBerry. Remember Blackberries? Oh, I had a BlackBerry. I'm a Canadian. So, of course, we were all (laughs) excited about the BlackBerry. People love their Blackberries. They're active proponents of them, right? And here's the thing. You know, it wasn't that people stopped liking Blackberries, but when Apple came along with the iPhone and redefined the value equation, and this is what you have to be sensitive to, people redefining the value equation. It's not just a communications device. Now I can browse. Now there's media. Oh, I can take good photos. I can do this and that. So people love their Blackberries and left. And this is why, you know, it's important customers or companies realize customer satisfaction does not equal customer loyalty. Customer satisfaction does not equal customer loyalty. They can love you and then leave you the moment they find that somebody else offers or just might offer more value. Whoa, that's a powerful statement. And I hadn't heard it being said that way. So the satisfaction does not equal the loyalty. And here you've you've outlined a couple of these companies who might not have had that opportunity to make those pivots or make those changes. Yet, would you see, like, was there any hope for BlackBerry? Like if we, we look in hindsight, if they would have actually applied some of your method and be clear on their purpose, what would that have looked like? And how would they have been able to kind of move differently in that space? Yes. Well, they, they did look at it and they became aware when the iPhone came out, one of the co-CEOs of BlackBerry, you know, got an iPhone, opened it up and his reaction was, oh my God, this is a computer. It's not a phone, it's not a computer, it's a computer. So it totally changed it. So they had actually an internal debate, quite an internal struggle at BlackBerry as to what direction they should go in. And again, unfortunately, they saw the threat, but they didn't respond in the way they needed to. And I'll give you a quick example. One of the things companies often look to do is differentiate themselves. How are we different? And even to the bitter end, you know, one of the, uh, the founders of BlackBerry argued, hey, we're the only device that has these push keys, you know, these not a touchpad, but push keys. This differentiates us. We're unique. And one of the things I like to say to people is differentiation isn't the issue. It's not what makes you different that counts. It's what makes you desirably different. Desirably different in the eyes of your target markets. It's okay to say, you know, we're different, but does anyone care and will they pay for it? So in the branding world, they talk so often about differentiation, Jason. We have to be different. You know what? It's not about being different. It's about being desirably different through the eyes of your target market. And that's one of the areas where BlackBerry failed. Wow. Yeah, no, that is powerful. And it's such a shame. A lot of people in Canada were quite sad when that happened. And at the same time, we are, as the end consumer, just looking for something that provides us the most value. And those touch keys, well, guess what? Uh, My fingers were too big anyways. I was struggling with that keyboard. So I wasn't excited about keeping that feature. I wanted to also share the fact that, you know, here at Mindvalley, it's, it's very interesting when you speak about this. We've had these moments where we started, I remember when we first joined, we would be more like we were explaining at the beginning of our conversation. We would have these events. We would have these strategic meeting, quarterly meeting or annual planning meetings, and we would get really excited and set priorities. And here's some reality is what would happen behind these closed doors. And I, I think you'll probably find this a little funny and typical is we would leave that meeting and we'd be like, all right, here's the priority for the quarter. We have a list of 25 things. <laughs> and then... And then once the quarter started, then in the middle of it, some new idea could come up and be like, wait, we should go and jump on this. And so it, 
it felt like we were very much lacking that consistency. And in the recent years, we actually really started trying to drill on that habit of being very focused and very strategic about what we are going to do and staying consistent as we really want to put that point forward today on what are the priorities and keeping it that way. But it, it wasn't like an on-off thing, but it did start with a decision. And so I wanted to kind of bring it to this point, which is as an organization, if you're witnessing maybe your department, maybe your unit is you're having that easily distractible culture in the process. How do you start making that commitment towards this consistency? And I know this is a big question, but at the same time, what are the major steps in your maturity in applying this ruthless consistency? Great. So a couple of things. One, the number one mistake I see companies make when they're developing strategy is they take on too much, too many objectives, too many strategies, too many you know initiatives. The inevitable consequence is at least some of those things will fail. And when you do that repeatedly, you start to create an expectation of failure. You create an acceptance of failure. You create a culture of failure because people come to realize that some of this might get done, some of it might not, and that's okay. So if there's one thing I'm relentless about with companies, it is do less. Do less, do less, do less, do less, do less. Strategy is just as much about what you decide not to do as what you're going to do. And you see leaders like Tim Cook at Apple talks, you know, we, we reject many, many great ideas so we can focus on the critical few. So the number one thing is to do less. And I'll tell a quick story here. The, the example I like to use is Warren Buffett. Of course, who everybody knows is the great investment guru. But what people don't know, many people don't know, is he's just a great prioritizer. So one time, his personal pilot came to him and asked about career advice. And Buffett said, okay, do these three things. Number one, write down your top 25 career goals. Now, 25 sounds like a lot, but throughout your entire career, write down your top 25 goals. So the pilot did that. He said, number two, circle the top five. Okay, he did that. Number three, take a good hard look at the ones you didn't circle. They become your avoid at all cost list, right? Those ones are your avoid at all cost until you get the five done. Because Jason, what kills us isn't the non-priorities. It's the almost top priorities. The almost top priorities divert our attention, siphon our focus from those top, top priorities. So when I'm working with clients, we always just, just hammer things down to the very, very few, one, two, or three things. And truthfully, it doesn't mean other stuff doesn't get done, but that other stuff can never be an excuse for not getting those very few things done. So number one, that's what we do to really make sure it's that focus on the few. And what I love about that system, by the way, for everybody listening, even if you don't own a business, like this was applied in a career setting methodology. I'm even thinking to myself, like there's so many times I get excited about these new things. And because I haven't done that exercise of just having that top five and then looking at everything that is not, it's those little things that distract you, that take a bit of your attention, that take away that focus that's so critical for doing great things. And so I think this is a very powerful system that people should be able to practice right from listening to this podcast. And so listeners, I would definitely encourage you to apply this into your lives, even if you're not in a business, but in your own career, this is something that can be crucial for getting you to find that commitment and realize that every time you're working on those things that make you feel good because it's busy work, 
you'll realize quite quickly that it's not important work and it takes you further away from your goals that you had originally set. So thanks, Michael, for sharing that one. I think it's so powerful. Thank you. Yeah. And once you have that focus, of course, and that really gives you the focus, then the question is, well, how do you sustain it in the face of inevitable distractions all of us face? So I can tell you that one of the things we find most effective in doing this is to develop what we call a case for change. And the case for change essentially is paired statements that say, if we don't change this, here's the pain we're going to suffer. And if we do change it, here's the gain that we're going to realize. And by developing those paired statements, the pain and the gain, and then every meeting, every progress tracking meeting, we review those, and then those become a management choice. As managers, are you choosing not to do this? So here's the pain we're going to suffer. Is that acceptable? Or are you choosing that we have to do it and therefore realize the gain? And I can tell you when we get bogged down or people say, oh, we got busy and this and that, my comment is, okay, so then we're accepting the pain. That's acceptable. And we say, well, no, that's not acceptable. Well, then our actions aren't consistent with that. So by forming this as a management choice, positioning it as a management choice, that this will be their legacy. Your legacy will be how you choose. Do you choose to change or not? So I want to make a very stark contrast. I want to put the spotlight on each of them and their commitment and say, make a decision. What do you stand for? You know, that's really powerful because first off, you bring up the awareness of all the pains, which is equal to the gains, and it gives equal awareness here in that once you have that awareness, now you have that responsibility. You have the thing that you'll be measured against and accountable to. And I would think that this is very powerful, especially if you're having upper managements that love making, you know, using their hierarchical power to kind of shift the priorities, then you kind of have them to kind of need to sign off on that decision with the full awareness, which I think is not always so relevant or front of mind for most organizations. Exactly. You know, be careful what you commit to because this will define your legacy. <laughs> so, you know, and I should emphasize the pain part of it might appear counterintuitive because what we read a lot in the literature is we'll have visions, dream big and goals and all of that. Here's the psychological reality. You know, I, my background is in, in psychology, the psychology of human performance. That's what I did my doctorate in. The reality of human psychology is this. Pain is a more reliable predictor of change than gain. The prospect of pain is a more reliable predictor of change than the prospect of gain. And we don't like to admit that. We don't like to realize it. But the research is very clear. And if I were to say to you, you know, Jason, give me your reaction to these two scenarios. Scenario number one, we're going to increase your salary by 20%. Scenario number two, we're going to decrease your salary by 20%, which leads you to have a stronger emotional reaction. The decrease makes it seem like you're taking away my freedom here. <laughs> Absolutely. And that's the reality. It's, you know, the prospect of a negative consequence is more powerful than the prospect of a positive consequence. There's, you know, work that led to a, a guy named Daniel Kahneman, who won the Nobel Prize in economics for his work on what's called prospect theory, essentially found that we subjectively weight pain, you know, loss greater than gain. So what I find effective in business is to couple them. Let's really make that vivid, stark contrast between this is the pain, this is the gain, choose. 
when I actually interviewed a gentleman, I think it was near Ayal. I don't know if you're familiar with his work, but he even said an additional comment saying that even the prospect of gain is an avoidance of pain. And that at the end of the day, it's all pain. And that seemed a little dark. But then when you look into the psychology, it's like, yeah, we're all trying to, you know, put that pain behind. And sometimes that gain is still a kind of chase for avoidance of pain. Have you ever seen that in the research as well? I haven't, haven't seen that. And certainly you could look at that, that if you don't gain, and sometimes it is very binary like that. If you don't do this, then it's, it's definitely pain. But I think the other point is what leaders need to realize is a lot of success is managing your own psychology. And I know in your podcast, you talk about this a lot and, you know, it's really, but it's managing your psychology, being honest with yourself, being self-aware enough to know what are the traits, what are the patterns that lead me to be successful? What are the traits? What are the patterns that inhibit my success? So when I talk about the right commitment, part of it is really understanding what I call the enemies of commitment. What are the things that stand in the way of commitment as they do with all of us? And the three big ones are complacency distractions, and ego. So we have to look at what we need to do, what patterns we need to carve to make sure we fight and overcome complacency, to make sure that we're not distractible, and to make sure we're not falling prey to our own out-of-control egos. And I'd love to kind of just close this with, because when it comes to distraction, that there's a lot of things that we've covered in the podcast here, but I want to dig into that ego one a little more. What are the things we should keep in check so that we ensure that it doesn't take control of us? Number one, you have to realize it's not about you, it's through you. Too often leaders think it's about them. The reality is the most successful leaders are the ones who are willing to share the praise they're willing to take responsibility, you know, for failures. They're the ones who realize that if they can build a team, they don't build a business, you build people and people build the business. And if you can build the right team and you can create the right environment and you can give those people the right focus in the right environment, then those people will help you win. So as leaders, you don't win. It's not you doing the business. It's you developing the right focus, creating the right environment and building the right team so everyone can win. Michael, thank you so much for coming here and sharing all this amazing wisdom. There's so much that we can learn when it comes to consistency. And what I love about making this ruthless commitment and going out to do these epic things in the world is having the fact that you have to start with that purpose. And although everything else can change, the strategy can change, the vision can change, the mission can change. But at the end of the day, if you're committed to going beyond whatever you set as a goal during that quarter, during that annual meeting, is you build the right habits for that consistency to happen, then you start seeing that you're putting into action everything that you've put aside. And what I found the most powerful is ensuring you know what not to do so that you stay focused on what is important because all of that has a cost. The pain of not being focused is actually gonna hold the company back. And we talked a lot about these companies who actually did not see the changes in the value proposition. And so making sure that you're staying aware of that, staying on top of that so that you can alter, pivot, and also take notice of big changes and make it a priority. For everybody listening, make sure you pick up a copy. We will add this to the show notes of Ruthless Consistency. It's this brand new book that's been doing extremely well on Amazon. You're going to want to make sure you get a copy of that to help you make the right decisions within your company. Michael, thank you so much for your time. And everybody, thanks for listening. 
Thanks again for tuning in to Superhumans at Work, which is always brought to you by Mindvalley. Know that All Access is our greatest offer where all of amazing quests in every area of your life are made available for you for under $2 a day. Simply go to mindvalley.com forward slash superhuman, and then you'll get a chance to uncover all of the available journeys that you can go through to improve every single area of your life. Mindvalley.com forward slash superhuman is where you'll get all the information and you'll get to see what it's like to be part of a tribe of people looking to always improve and do the best possible in the world by starting with themselves. Thanks so much for tuning in and until next time, stay superhuman. My name is Jason Campbell and this is Superhumans at Work, a Mindvalley podcast. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.